Are you a service-based business owner looking to increase profits to fund your lifestyle? Well, this podcast is for you. We bring you inspirational guests sharing actionable tips to solve many of the struggles you face each and every day. And now, over to your host, Paul Higgins. Welcome to the Build, Live, Give podcast. If you're a first-time listener and you love what you hear or maybe see, please subscribe if you're a regular I really appreciate your support and always love to get your feedback. You can leave me any questions for either the person that I'm interviewing or myself at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash questions. Or you're welcome to take notes. And believe me, there's lots of notes in this particular episode. There's actually even screen sharing of their frameworks. So I recommend two things. So one is you can take your notes because sometimes that's the best way to absorb things, but also get the transcription at paulhigginsmentoring.com. And you can also go and watch this in YouTube as well at Paul Higgins Mentoring. So our guest today was a tech engineer, so used to build software, and then they went into their own tech startups. And they actually pitched to over 123 venture capital investors and were lucky to get funding six times, right? So they had an amazing journey. And what they've done is combined that experience with a researcher to work out how an average Joe can become an IT, a tech genius, right? And what they've got now is an Amazon best-selling book. Actually, it's a best-selling non-fiction book on Amazon. So it's absolutely amazing. So there's two key frameworks that the guest goes through. So one is the slow create formula and the other is the sustainable mystique. So they're both amazing. Definitely, if you can watch this, if you're listening by audio and you get the chance to go over and, and watch it on YouTube, it'll be great. And they also give you a framework. So it's, you know, it's around new products because obviously that's what they do around software products. That's been his background. But it's a great framework to help you think outside the square. Anyway, enough from me. Now over to Sean Livermore from productperfect.co. Welcome, Sean Livermore, to the Build, Live, Give podcast. Welcome, Sean. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. Well, I know, Sean, you run a company called Product Perfect, and we're going to go through lots of amazing information today. But why don't we just kick off when someone says, hey, Sean, what do you do? How do you best describe that? I run a software company here in Southern California, Product Perfect, and we focus on prize applications, modernizing systems, Fortune 500 companies in the United States. Excellent. And what got you, I know you've had an amazing startup you started as a product engineer, then in the startups, et cetera, as I said in the introduction. But what sort of got you into the latest pursuit? Well, I wrote a book, hit the Amazon bestsellers list for a little while. And it's exciting content. I met a neuroscientist out of UCLA, Dr. Jesse Risman, PhD, and spent months and months with him during COVID. And we were looking for a way to basically take anyone, and I mean anyone, your grandmother, your least qualified employee, anyone in your network and take them from average Joe to tech genius. You know, this idea of the spectrum of intelligence and creativity and product creation life cycles. And I was digging and digging and just simply I hired a research team and we all got together and we could not find any sort of predictable, reliable, replicable framework 
for product creation that involved neuroscience that anyone could pick up and run with. And so we decided to work with Dr. Risman and created one. And so we call it the Slow Create Framework. And the book is sort of, it backs into that as sort of a tool that anyone can use to create beautiful products. Right. And when you say products, are they physical products? Can they be intangible? Spe- what do you mean by products? Specifically for the tech industry. So we're talking about digital products, software, apps, right? So we all see these unicorns companies coming out of, of nowhere, right? We have Snapchat and Uber and so many of the large behemoths now, but there's also all these other unicorns. There's like 100, 150, 200 of them now that are worth a billion dollars or more, billion with a B. And they are founded by these quote tech geniuses, right? And, and they create these magnificent swipeable, clickable morsels of goodies that you really love on your phone. And Apple has really benefited from the creativity and the slick nature of these apps. But how do they go viral? How do they grow? How do these growth hackers work? And so I actually sat down with the father of growth hacking, Sean Ellis, in Newport Beach, and we had a burger. And it was great to really hear firsthand how Dropbox became a household name. And he told the story, and the story backed into what I was already researching with the neuroscientists. So it all kind of came together in the book, and it really reinforced the model of a science and a framework rather than magic dust or being lucky founder with a magic touch. Yeah, I must admit, I was one of the first people to get a mobile phone and I thought, you know, this is it. Like, it can't get any better than this. You know, going from, you know, back in our day when I was a salesperson, you know, you had to physically, you know, show up to make a sale. It was like, hang on, I don't, I could do it from anywhere. It was like, but now when we look at our mobile phones and the apps we've got, and look, a lot of people collect things, watches, you know, coins, whatever it is, I collect apps, right? I'm constantly looking for the new apps. So I'm really excited to get the genius behind this. And I love, you know, the fact that you talk about, you know, the average Joe can do this and really making it for all of us, why not just the few unicorns? So I know you have got some great methodologies that in the book, you know, you got anything that you'd love to share with us now that we can get a real sense of, of what this is about? Well, it's 100,000 words, right? And 18 months and quite a bit of research. So it's very difficult to put it into that nutshell, but I will do my best to try and to give you the best that I can out of that spectrum of work. But the body of it is that there is really no such thing as a tech genius. But in a satisfying twist, the book sort of relinquishes that statement and concedes that actually there is, and you can also become it yourself, right? So it's this no, but yes. Now, in the murky water of that, there's a lot happening. There's a little bit of chili that we have to stir and we have to get you contextually aware of, of what is and what is not qualified as high intelligence, high skill, polish or intuition and product savvy, right? There's certainly some hard skills that people have to learn. There's layers of that, of being a software developer myself. I understand the many layers of what it takes to build a product, to deploy a product, to support a product to envision a smooth and seamless experience, to solve all the latency issues from a technical perspective, hardware, software, firmware, user engagement, so many design aesthetic issues you have to think through. But on top of all those layers, even then, there's a million developers running around who are really good at what they do, literally a million. There's probably 20, 30 million software developers in the United States in some way, shape or form. And it's growing around the world, of course, such a global economy. But on top of that, the icing of that, that thin atmospheric layer of really highly qualified founders that could solicit venture capital investment, 
they are still striving and seeking to get onto that plateau of building a product that can scale. So the book really explains the slow create framework came out of that. And, and so the ability to create a product from nothing systematically, organically. And what we're learning is some of even my clients for software, you know, we build enterprise software, but many times we're sitting and we inevitably come across a product. We stub our toe as we walk through the hallways on products all over the place, right? We have this mainframe system over here. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to refactor it. We're going to re-engineer it, rethink it. We have this legacy web app over here. It just continues to come back to products. And internally, the common thread is we don't have really a lot of designers in-house. We don't have a lot of aesthetic people or user experience people. Can you guys help us with that? And in essence, the whole agency model exists out there, right? So a lot of your audience probably runs an agency or, or is involved with an agency of some sort. So it's premised on a, quite a few notions about design, but coming back to the point, anyone can create beautiful products. Anyone can truly get a manifestation of their inclinations or their hunches or their wishes or their desires, frame it out on a canvas, build it out into a pipeline and stack all your canvases into a pipeline. And then through systematic neuroscience, push them through what we call the mindless work ladder. And out the other side comes the juicy morsels, the inflections. Venture capitalist Mike Maples calls inflections, and there's several types of those in the book. We talk about that. But those inflections and your learnings can then be carefully mapped and pushed through what we call the sustainable mystique triad. It's a way to communicate. It's a form of and a methodology of pitching to friends, family, spouses, loved ones, or employers, or venture capitalists, right? It really doesn't matter. But you're always pitching. You're always selling. And this methodology helps you left brainers. Anybody out there a left brainer have a hard time speaking? I know I'm hitting someone right between the eyes. Well, I'm married to one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're not naming any names, but you're married to one. (laughs) Well, don't worry. She doesn't listen to your podcast. So you don't have to worry about her hearing you. Yeah. Unfortunately, she's not the only one, but she's just one of them that doesn't listen to it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I could get my family to read my book yet. It's really sad, isn't it? You hope people around you will, yeah, they say they did, but mm, I think they answered a few questions wrong. So I'm testing them and I don't think they did. But you really do learn how to pitch and you learn how to present your information. And that's one of the hardest parts is speaking, is communicating. If we could just get this darn people thing figured out, right? All the code is so easy, but people so difficult. So the book really helps those who kind of finding their way in communication as well. And, and it truly, people have come back to me and said, you know, it really is a communication book. And I realized, yeah, it really is. It's a communication book. Right. And speaking of communication, I know one of the best ways to communicate is visually. And I know that you've already got some of those models that you've just talked through. So would you like, you know, let's, it's a first, we've never done this on the podcast before, but I think it makes perfect sense. If you can share some of these models so that we can all see it. And if you've got the, if you're listening to this audio, Sean will do his best way to work it through. But I do highly recommend that you go to the website, uh, my website, which is paulhigginsmentoring.com. You can also go to YouTube, which is Paul Higgins Mentoring, to get a side of these models. Okay, over to you, Sean. Can you see my screen? I can see your screen. Is it just one application or the whole thing? It's a slow create canvas at the moment. Perfect. You can edit that out, hopefully. (laughs) Here's the slow create canvas. So just like the business model canvas, this allows you to plot out your manifested problem domain. 
And so if you're trying to invent a product that take Instagram, you know, we want to be able to apply lenses and filters to pictures and make them seamless. And so you'd list out the problem or area your brain is continually working through here. You'd list out any factors like blockers, constraints, or other forces, any actors, any bodies, people who are involved in the process, any inspirations from competitors or other products on the market. Any of the next section is what we call PDS cycles, the patterns, details, and secrets. This is what's always churning in the back of your brain like a server farm, never stopping. You're always working through these PDS cycles. And even at night, you know, we find in in neuroscience, they say that 60 to 80% of the energy that your brain consumes is consumed in the background threads. And so what is it working on? Well, it's churning through the patterns, details, and secrets. And so listing those out in your problem domain, which looks a little different. We talk a lot about secrets They're kind of like truffles, you know, but if you know the pig who hunts and and sniffs out the truffles, the guy, the old man withers down by the river who has 10 pigs and you borrow one of those and you go find the truffles, there's a way to get to those business secrets. Then you come down to the unsolved. You can list the area that's still unsolved and allow your mind to sort of rehash that and remember it when you're solving your problems. Mindless work ladder is an acronym. Ladder is L-A-D-D-E-R. And so it stands for loosen to ease your grip become an antenna, you sort of daydream and drift, and then you emerge from that sort of stupor and recharacterize the problem domain. And typically, eventually, somehow, you come up with what we call nibbles of synthesis. Again, working with neuroscientist Dr. Jesse Risman out of UCLA, this is a neuroscience-backed, mindless work ladder process that he and I, over many months, put together And, you know, there's been a lot of studies around this. When people are daydreaming off, they ask these studies, these participants, what are you thinking about? And the number one thing was typically household issues, paying the bills, kids, picking up from soccer practice. They're solving their day-to-day amygdala brain responsive problems that are more immediately important to them. And when you get over those, over that hump, you go to the longer term or the threads of operation that are not about survival, right? They're more about strategic engagement. And so by baiting the hook, you're sort of telling your brain, no, 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 focus on exactly this, please brain work for me here. Listen to what I'm saying. And you bait the hook. And so a quick explanation of that, you know, as you go fishing sort of emblematic here, you release control up here. You have full control. You're on the whiteboard. You're trying so hard. You're trying to, as Dr. Jesse Risman described it, sculpt it with consciousness, right? You're literally trying to carve out the thing, right? The product. You're taking an active role. When you release control, you're taking a passive role and you're doing what's called mindless work or resting state functional connectivity, RSFC, which activates something called the default mode network in the brain. And that's where 60 to 8% of all your energy is going. And so down there, you have zero control, sort of like the fish nibbling on the line. You're letting go. You're daydreaming. You're folding laundry. You're doing something that requires very little thought, maybe driving to work, taking a quiet walk, you know, sorting numbers, cleaning up your sock drawer, and you sort of lose yourself, right? And in those moments, you come back from it and you're like, oh, I got it. I know what to do, right? Yeah. And, you know, people often talk about, you know, taking a walk or getting out of the environment. You know, some may say go fishing like your analogy here, but, you know, where do those moments happen anywhere? Is there any pattern in the research where you can draw on a particular habit that may induce those more than others? I think it's different for everyone. The list that Dr. Risman and I worked through was more aligned with what I described earlier of kind of your day-to-day 
quiet walks, doing the dishes, laundry, etc. Yes. And because it's just what you do, it's how your body works. Your brain is sort of calibrated to take over. The default mode network knows how to kick in and it fires up under the MRI. It's like colors of pink and blue all over the place of all the activity that's happening when people are daydreaming. Scientists used to think that it all goes dark, but it doesn't. It actually does the reverse. It lights up. And so why are we doing things the hard way? We have to learn how to let go and we have to learn how to let our minds carry us forward. And people come to me and say, I thought it was a book about the tech industry. I thought you were talking specifically to a tech audience. Why well, am? This is very techy. Neuroscience and AI and you know machine learning and all the things that people are raving about these days, they have a lot to do with the creative models. And you don't just magically walk into work and create a killer app. You know, it takes time and effort and a lot of leverage of, of industry. So anyway, coming back to the canvas, once you fill out this canvas and you get the nibbles and they eventually lead to inflections, the venture capitalist Mike Maples has a great talk he does on inflections. And so we talk about that a little bit in the book. But once you have a whole bunch of canvases, one for each problem domain, you can stack them in a pipeline. And so the pipeline allows you to put the most important areas out horizontally so that you can fold it up, put it in your pocket, take a picture on your iPhone and walk around with it and look at it when you need to. And you can literally solve 10 or, or 20 or 100 problem areas all at once. And your brain is calibrating and recalibrating and sharpening continuously and perpetually to take on the unsolved for each and every one of these and walk down this ladder and find those nibbles and draw out inflections. This is critical. And I have mine behind my monitor. And so every day I calibrate my brain. It sounds nerdy and that's fine. You can say whatever you want. When I'm ringing the bell on the NASDAQ, you can come back and listen to this podcast and realize <laughs> that maybe I was on to something, cross fingers, but I seek to invent based on scientific rhythms. And I think a lot of people already do this. They just don't realize they're doing it. But so this is sort of a map for those who have a hard time putting it together. And once you come out the other side of the pipeline, there's a funnel sort of to explain the process going from top to bottom, but you can put your inflections through this sustainable mystique triad. And so this triad is a form of communication that allows you to memorize and learn and get better and improve how your words become moments of fascination. Moments of fascination here at the top is the goal. Yeah. Right. Paul, when you're sitting down and you're talking to your wife or anybody about anything, the end result, wouldn't it be great if they were fascinated? It's hard to dispute that. When you read a book, don't you want to be fascinated with the content? When you watch a documentary, you want to sit back and feel those euphoric moments and can't wait to tell or text or, or share that moment. In our quick bite-sized nugget morsel moments with people at dinner parties, or I guess on COVID, it would be any sort of online event, but you really want to take advantage of those minute, acute time periods to invoke just the right words to stimulate fascination. How do you do that? Well, it's three parts. You have to be working on interesting problems. That is a topic of its own, but some people are out there solving the wrong problem. And they devote years and years and years of their life to solving the wrong problem. But they started there, and so they don't know how to stop, right? So stopping on one track and getting on a different track, a problem that the world finds interesting, that there's a large market for it, it's fundable, right? Investors are interested in that problem, solving that problem particularly, and then having a narrow focus, making sure that you're adopting first principles, you have a founding myth, you have a fulcrum friendly model, but that your narrow focus and your calibration and lens is, is tightened really acutely on a very specific niche of the problem. And then using articulate speech with an API method, analogy, portrayal, and inversion. We talk about this in the book and some of the videos on the website. All those three things allow you to take your PDS cycles from the Socrate framework and bubble those up to the top 
And eventually, as you speak and as you conjure those moments, it will lead to fascination. I've done this myself. I've seen it in the eyeballs of my audience. You know, I've pitched 130 times to investors and I've raised six rounds of funding and I see in their eyeballs when I've got them. Now, am I manufacturing falsehood? No, it's all true. Everything that I'm working on is truth. There's no hype. There's no hustle. I could whisper the pitch and I could achieve some fascination. Now, I'm not saying it's it's always going to be a glorious moment where sparks are flying. It could very often be a very subtle moment where they are validating in their mind, they're checking boxes. It's like we look at how baseball scouts, how they look at baseball players. What are they looking at? They're looking at the wrist, the hips, the legs, the feet. Sports folks out there know exactly what I'm talking about. And in the book, we talk about some fun quotes. They were looking at Ken Griffey Jr., one of the most famous home run hitters of my generation when I was growing up. You know, they were saying, well, he's a little eager on the long ball, but his dad used to do it this way. And they had these comments about these baseball players. And they sit back and they chew on their sunflower seeds in the stands and they sort of make their comments in their notepads and they go their way. Investors are sitting back listening to pitches all day long and they're making their own notes and they're chewing their own sunflower seeds and they're saying, well, this founder seems sharp, but you know what? He's a little blah, 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 or she's a little blah, blah, blah. And you know, I'm not sure about, oh, I I think I have a winner here. He seems to make contact quite naturally. I think he comes from good stock or whatever they're thinking. But fascination can be manufactured and you can beat them at their own game by conjuring the best that your human body can put forth through a serial systematic assembly line of word. And this is a big deal. It's very hard to do, but there's a lot of hype and hustle out there. A lot of calories being burned, a lot of sugar highs and caffeine. And you hear founders just going to town with all their glorious words, but it really is important to put it through a system, brevity and manufactured glory. And that is what we call the sustainable mystique triad. Yeah, that was fantastic, Sean. I know a lot of people listening to this podcast saying, well, look, you know, I don't want to launch a product necessarily and want to be a consumer of one, but not launch one. But I think when I was at Coca-Cola, we used to always look for insights outside of our industry. And I think you're a service-based business. I think this is a great model to take and a lot of what can be a lot of the frameworks in Sean's book can be applied to you and your business, right? Because it's not just for unicorns. Like Sean said before, it can be for your grandmother. It can be for anyone to understand a methodology, which is no different to some of the other methodologies which you've got. So you can find out more about Sean and you can certainly get those. So if you're doing audio at the moment, you can get at slowcreate.com. Um, I highly recommend you getting the book. It's uh, fantastic. But before we go into the live section, Sean, I'd like for everyone listening just to think about if they've got their sales machine in place to get one to three high quality clients a month. And if you are unsure of that answer, I want to help you. So I've got 14 questions that you can answer in three minutes and it will give you precisely the gaps that you may be missing to get those one to three ideal clients. Because just imagine, you know, we all work so hard, but if you did have a repeatable sales machine, just how much that would assist you in your life goals. So just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash pulse, and you can answer those 14 questions in three minutes. So the next section is the live section. Right, and you've done an amazing job in outlining the book, which is great. But we want to sort of dive a little bit more behind Sean. 
So what are some of the daily habits, Sean, that help you create an Amazon best-selling book pitch to 130 investors and get venture capital funding, you know, six times in your career? I think I try to stay away from the wake up at 4 a.m. stuff. <laughs> I don't think it's sustainable and I think it leads people down the wrong path because it's not about velocity, it's about aim. Yeah. And so the calibration, you know, a lot of founders are ready, fire, aim. But I really love my product. Yeah, that's the biggest problem. I think giving it a name is a bad idea too. You know, I wrote a long blog post after I shut down my last startup and I tried to tell people, don't give it a name. Because once you give it a name, you want to pet it and feed it. It's like a little pet, you know. Yeah. yeah. Call it experiment number 47. Give it a code name like Excalibur or something, but don't give it a real name. Don't give it a domain name, for goodness sake, until you really have a provable strategy. But I think it's about rhythms and health. Mental health, number one. COVID has really drawn that to the surface and everyone would agree and nod their heads. People are really struggling with mental health. And I think having a good balance in your rhythms of daily life with health and food and exercise and family and finding your place spiritually in this world. I'm a man of faith, so I believe in God and his saving grace. And yes. so I find that to be the, the most important part of my life, but sharing that unashamedly. But I would also say that being around the right people and staying in the right zone, man, it is really easy to be distracted and pulled into the wrong rooms. And you really have to carve out, no, you know what? I need to work on these projects over here. And I need to let go of these things over there. And that's tough, very difficult, you know, yeah. relationships and so forth. Yeah. And look, I love Russell Brunson's philosophy around your dream 100. And I think it's, you know, it applies to customers, it applies to partners, but it also applies to the people that you want to have you know, those conversations and those networks with because often I know you talk about where do ideas come from. You know, some of my best ideas came from when I was actually just listening to people talking or being at a conference or something like that and then ideas just, you know, I'm like an ideas machine. They just pop in my head mm. but it's that conversation, it's that, it's the quality of the conversation that helps spark those. So I think that's really important. Well, look, we're going to move into the live, uh, the give section now we've done the build, we've done the live, now into the give. So what's a community or charity that you're passionate about and why? Yeah, I mean, we're involved in our church and give to our church here in, in Anaheim, California. But also um, my birthday a year or two, there's this orphanage in Mexico and some wonderful young people got to go down and visit them and, and meet some of the kids and help sort of build a little house for one of the workers there. And, and then for my birthday, I told folks, don't give me a gift, let, buy <laughs> shoes because there's a certain type of shoe they really loved. And so we got like, I don't even know, $2,600 worth of, of vans. I think we had like 80 something pairs of shoes that we put together and handed it off to the folks at the church and they drove a truck down and quietly distributed those to all the kids. And it was just a wonderful moment. So yeah, I'll give you the link to the orphanage, a very worthy cause if anyone out there wants to give toward that. Great. Well, we'll definitely put that in the, the show notes. And this leaves us to the last section, which is the rapid fire questions. I'll ask you some answers and get some rapid fire responses. So the first one is what's a piece of technology that you couldn't run your business or multiple businesses without? I really love the Atlassian stack with Jira, Confluence, right? Product management, et cetera. So that would have to be my number one. Yeah. And uh, a big shout out to Aussie founders of Atlassian. You know, mm -hmm. they're the quiet guys in the industry. They've done an amazing job. The next one is, you know, your best sales tip. So what's your best sales tip or tips to help everyone get more happy clients in the door? 
I think you have to really continue to build relationships. I think, you know, your friendships, your net worth is your network, right? Or your network is your net worth. And I've learned that the hard way of being an introvert by default. I tend to go into project mode, but you really have to stay in person mode and people mode and continue to shake hands even virtually and continue to connect. But I'd say that's the most important thing. Just voluminous numbers of human beings that you're interacting with. Yeah, and what's the best source of new ideas for you? I know you've alluded to a brilliant way of doing that in in the book, and we may have already covered this question, but you know, have you got any other aspects you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, I think the source, the development, the Socrate framework really helps people who are solving problems or envisioning solutions systematically do so more effectively, efficiently, and more powerfully, and be able to get from, oh, I forgot about that idea I had 10 years ago, too. I have 147 ideas I'm working on right now. (laughs) And at any moment in time, one might burst. You might want to invest in me, right? And becoming a most valuable player on a startup or a product team or a founder yourself. That is what that leads you to. And it's a powerful tool for anyone out there who's building a product or cycling through and iterating through their thoughts on a daily basis, which is really all of us, right? So I would say your grandmother should use this tool. It really is a powerful tool. But getting new ideas, going fishing, as many producers and movie film writers would call it, it really does involve a combination of multiple seasonings, you know, your isolation factors, right? If you're an extrovert, you might want to discipline yourself to take a step back and not be engaged with so many people all the time, right? You need to carve out time for your brain to do what it was intrinsically able to do without you flapping your jaws or involving with people. If you're an introvert, great, equally great, but learn how to become more efficient at thinking through and and processing through your ideas and documenting them, becoming more of a transcriptionist of what your brain is already doing. And then thirdly is your time. What are you doing with all your time? If you're spending all your time driving the car, but not washing the car, the car is going to get really dirty over time and no one wants to ride in it, right? Your brain, we run our brains really hard. Yes. Go, 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 go. You know, meeting after meeting, after meeting, after meeting. There's back to back to back to back to backs in corporate America or Australia. They love to have people efficient and really blocked out. And you try to book a meeting with a director or a VP and you look at their calendar and it's just like there's nothing open. So you got to chat them on Slack or on Teams. Hey, when can you meet? Because you just, it's foolish now. It's just crazy. But I think we really have to block in every three hours of work, you need 15 minutes of thoughtful walking. Yeah. And I mean it. I take about, two or three walks a day for thoughtful introspection and processing through the activities that I just performed and then preparing for activities yet to be. And it's very powerful. And I would recommend that for anyone to just really slow down and provide that stare off into space on your calendar kind of moments. Great. The last question is the big question. I always leave it to the end for that reason. But what impact do you want to leave on the world? Oh man, it's such a difficult one. I think raising two daughters is that my daughters are okay, they're safe and they're healthy and they're happy and serving God and doing good things in the world. And that my wife knows that I'm 100% all in faithful. But other than that, I think improving the lives. I like to help people get work. I don't know why. It's just been something that people have come across my desk and have needed jobs and I've been able to help them get into work. I taught a welder how to code and he was able to learn how to get into the tech industry. And I think that's where the book Average Joe sort of came out of me too, is this desire to leave a mark of improvement on the lives of those in or around the tech industry or those on the outside trying to get to the center, helping them, welcoming them to the center where the water's warm. And because I think tech can be very exclusive and I think we should make it more inclusive in all things, right? Yes. Yeah. Look, uh, fantastic. So 
It's been absolutely a treat having you on, Sean. It's a topic that is not my standard podcast interview, which is what I love because I really do think, you know, all of us need to take that time out. Like I must admit, I'm guilty of listening to many podcasts, right? So if I go for a walk, I listen to podcasts that stimulate my ideas, but it's not often I, I don't walk just alone with my thoughts, right? So I think this has been a great podcast to bring that to the fore, but also give some brilliant frameworks. So once again, you can get those frameworks at slowcreate.com. You can get the book, Average Joe, and it's the full title is Average Joe Become the Myth of the Tech Genius. So you can get that at averagejoetechgenius.com. Right, so all of those links will be in the show notes, but uh, fantastic having you on today, Sean, and I really appreciate you sharing. Thank you, Paul. Mutually. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. So I enjoyed that interview with Sean so much. He, he shared his screen. He showed you the frameworks, which I think really helps. And once again, if you only listen to an audio, that's fine. You can go and get all of his frameworks at slowcreate.com. But if you do go to the YouTube, you can see the full interview and what he's done. And I think, yes, it was very much product-based, et cetera, but I think these things you can apply in your business. And I'll be certainly taking his framework and applying it to get some more of my dreams, my ideas to traction. I want you to do the same. So you can go and get his book. Remember, it's an Amazon best-selling book at averagejoetechgenius.com. So that's averagejoetechgenius.com. And also, you can, once again, get the frameworks at slowcreate.com. So I talked about getting a sales machine to get one to three high-ticket items for your business or high-ticket sales for your business, just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash pulse. Please take action to build, live, and give. Thanks for listening to the Build, Live, Give podcast. If you like what you heard, please share it and leave us a review. It would mean the world to us.